Hey fools, this is the Fishnets and Phantoms podcast for April 1st, 2021, and we'll be here with some news of the miscellany as well as movie review for Godzilla vs. King Kong. First, the news. It seems as though the center of the Milky Way is glowing. In a phenomenon called the Galactic Center, G-E-V-X-S, there is a puzzling glow coming out of the center of the galaxy. In data from NASA's Fermi Telescope, they found some of the most energetic light in the universe, and they haven't been able to directly detect what is causing it. They believe that it is influenced by dark matter because the galaxies stars, dust, and gas nearby are rotating much too fast for the appropriate gravitational pull of the area. 80% of all matter in the universe is dark matter, but we cannot see any of it. Instead, we must rely on the gravitational pull it has on the seeable portions of the universe. They believe that particles of dark matter called WIMPs, W-I-M-P-S, weakly interacting massive particles, and their antiparticles are colliding and annihilating each other, exploding in a shower of other particles which are causing the gamma-ray photons and the glow. This is plausible because the galactic center is crowded, dusty, and very energetic. It would be pretty easy to miss a star, or several. If you're further interested in the phenomenon, Check out the Science Alert article on March 29th, 2021 by Michelle Starr. In art news, are you sick of being at home and wasting that big old brain of yours? Well, fear no more. The artistic side of you has got a treat. The Louvre Museum has put up their entire showcase of artworks to be looked at online as of the end of March 2021. It seems as though visitors can search through the museum's massive collections through simple or advanced searches and entries by curatorial department or themed albums. The website has an interactive map that allows people to explore the museum and every one of its artworks room by room. So definitely check that out. Um, You should be able to find it at collections.louvre.fr. So it's collections.l-o-u-v-r-e.f-r. And this is all according to a CNN article in CNN Style from March 27th, 2021. Finally, it appears that there is an unkindness of ravens in Alaska that has been bullying the Costco shoppers. They steal their groceries and take off with them. According to the Associated Press, as reported through Huffington Press, the ravens like to hang around a little bit later into spring before they take off to their new locations. And they can tell fruit, even if it's in a grocery cart or bag, knowing that that is their favorite treat. In fool news, I bet you always wondered why there's an April Fool's Day. Apparently, it dates back to 1582, when France switched from the Julian calendar to the current Gregorian calendar. In 1563, in the Julian calendar, as in the Hindu calendar and several other natural calendars, the new year started in the spring equinox around April 1st. And... In the new Gregorian calendar, the new year starts, as everyone knows, at January 1st. Now, some of the people in France were slow to get the news that the calendars had changed, and they failed to recognize that the start of the new year had moved to January 1st and continued to celebrate it during the last week of March through April 1st. People in France, thinking that It was hilarious that some of the people were illiterate and or just didn't get the memo that they had changed the calendar around. 
uh, decided to make the rest of France the butt of jokes and hoaxes and called them April Fools. Apparently, they had the hilarious uh, penchant for sticking notes on the backs of people that said things like, kick me, the height of wit. So yeah, now you know it. That is the origin of the April Fool. As you know, is the beginning of the Godzilla theme. Godzilla, often called by the Japanese pronunciation Gojira, first came to the big screen in black and white in 1954, and it was put out by Toho Studios. Since then, Godzilla starred in 32 films produced by Toho, four Hollywood films, and numerous video games, comics, novels, and television shows. He has been dubbed the King of the Monsters, that phrase first appearing in the 1956 Americanized version of the original film. A few of the people who have donned the famous rubber suit are Haru Nakajima and Katsumi Tezuka. Legendary Pictures, which has put out the current series of Godzilla Pictures, is an American studio, and Godzilla is no longer a rubber suit, however, he is a CGI monstrosity, which can be good and can be bad. It is an incredibly shinier, different world than the 1954 Gajira occupied, but it is somehow lacking the, I don't know, there's a certain je ne sais quoi that the old rubber suit had, and uh, the performers had some sort of a silent film sort of language to portray the giant lizard's feelings underneath that suit, which is missed on the new CGI performance. Godzilla is a kaiju, which is a Japanese word for giant monster. Now, monster in this sense does not necessarily mean evil or anything in that particular vein. However, it generally means something that is destructive and can be fearful because of that. The various kaijus in the Toho studio films are sometimes the friend of and sometimes the enemy of humankind and it seems to be that it's usually the humans who do the provoking in most of the movies. Uh, there's also uh, space aliens that come and originally brought King Ghidorah who is one of Godzilla's main nemesi in the original movies and again in the current run of legendary pictures. I think that Mechagodzilla was created by humans to battle Godzilla, so he's a human uh, provocation. Other kaijus, such as Rodan, Mothra, Angurus, Hidora, uh, let's see, did I say Rodan? Violante, uh, I'm sure there's many that I have missed in that uh, quick synopsis but um, there are many kaiju and eventually most of them seem to have moved to Monster Island. It has been said that the films of Godzilla and some of the other kaiju were a response to the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I don't know how true this is. I'm not sure if I have actually read or heard anyone who is Japanese speak on this, but I have heard 
American critics uh, point that out. So actually, if anybody knows, uh, please get in touch with the Fishnets and Phantoms uh, podcast page on Facebook and uh, enlighten me on the subject. Uh, it seems a bit reductionist, but then again, it's maybe a comforting sort of superhero mythos to deal with the unbearable. Um, So anyways, the series progressed and Godzilla went from being the terrifying monster of the series to being a heroic character that fights the other kaiju it means, such as King Ghidra. Ghidra or Ghidorah? I'm never quite sure how you say it. I believe it's Ghidra but I have a habit of saying Ghidorah. So. Anyways, uh, he showed up in 1964, and um, his three-headed self um, was brought to Earth by aliens, and he was subjected to radiation, which fused his body together. By the 1970s, Godzilla had become a superhero, and he had surpassed both Superman and Batman to become the most universally popular superhero in 1977, according to the Monster Times. He also beat out Dracula, King Kong, the Wolfman, and the Mummy, as well as the creature from the Black Lagoon, as supervillains in that issue. In 1996, Godzilla received a MTV Lifetime Achievement Award, which I'm sure he possibly chewed on a little bit and threw into the ocean. And um, he also received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2004 to celebrate the premiere of the character's 50th anniversary film, Godzilla Final Wars. Some Godzilla knockoffs from around the world are Reptiligus from Denmark, Yongari from South Korea, Pulgasari of North Korea, Gorgo in the United Kingdom, and the Cloverfield Monster in the United States. In April 2015, Godzilla was made a special resident by the District of Tokyo Shinjuku Ward, the Shinjuku Ward of Tokyo. He was not able to grasp the certificate, so a official of the Toho Studios accepted the certificate for him, and it was noted that at least three times the entire Shinjuku ward had been flattened by Godzilla in Toho movies. So I suppose it was a bit of a bittersweet reception. (laughs) Now everybody has their personal... Godzilla stories if they are interested in the character and I can remember watching Godzilla movies when I was a child with my mom um, staying up late and watching uh, I think it was Destroy All Monsters? No. It was the one with Minari in it and it was a lot of fun and I remember thinking that It was the best Godzilla movie ever because I was seven, and um, of course it is not, but I liked it a lot when I was a little kid, and uh, we also watched Mothra and Rodan and several other Godzilla movies, and then it kind of fell by my wayside until I was a little bit older and got to see some of the late, uh, I think it would be late... 80s, 90s um, versions of the Toho behemoth, behemoth. Um, and I have to say I just loved him. I always loved a Godzilla. Yeah, they're not technically uh, incredibly great movies, and they don't have any um, real psychological depth to them, most likely. But I I loved him. I just I love Godzilla and Godzilla movies. Uh, my favorite kaiju is Hidora, who is the um, pollution monster, and he um, represented a time in the, I guess it would be the 70s, when 
the world thought of pollution as an incredible threat to humanity and wanted to represent that in a kaiju. There's a great scene where he is going to descend into a disco and it seems as though he can control who and what he kills with his pollution, um, I, don't know, I suppose poison, and um, he descends down into the disco and meanwhile there's a tiny kitten that walks out onto the stairs, much to the terror of the audience, but Hidora just glides over the kitten and doesn't harm it at all, goes inside and takes care of the, all of the humans in the disco, glides right back out and the kitten is unscathed. So Hidora, he is a good guy in my books. Uh, he was able to flatten into a sort of disc shape and uh, fly and uh, kind of morph his body in different ways depending on how much pollution he absorbed. Yeah, he was, uh, he's definitely my favorite kaiju. Everybody has their own favorite. My second is King Ghidra or King Ghidorah, whichever way you want to pronounce it. Um, the most recent uh, put out by Toho is the 2016 film Shin Godzilla. It's uh, directed by Hidaki Anno and Sinji Higuchi. I'm probably pronouncing those wrong, but I am trying. Uh, that film was really amazing. I loved the different take that they put onto Godzilla and how they followed him through his... I guess it was kind of a reboot, so they followed him through his metamorphosis uh, into the form that he finally becomes. I believe it's known as the first film of the franchise's Riwa period, and the film stars Hiroki Hasegawa, Yatuka Taken Noichi, Satomi, Satomi Ishihara. In the film, politicians struggle with bureaucratic red tape in order to deal with the sudden appearance of a giant monster that evolves every time it is attacked. I, I love that movie. It um, did about 15 million in the United States and around the world it did 78 million in US dollars. It was the highest grossing live action Japanese film of 2016 and became the highest grossing Japanese produced Godzilla film of the franchise. It received 11 Japan Academy Prize nominations and won seven, including Picture of the Year and Director of the Year. Apparently, Shin Godzilla drew its inspiration from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster and the 2011 Tohoku earthquake and tsunami. In Japan, the movie was somewhat controversial because it was seen as criticizing Japanese government as it worked within its own hierarchical system to protect their positions in the expense of citizens' lives. However, the Prime Minister, Shinzo Abe, spoke positively of the film's pro-nationalist themes and said that he believes that Godzilla's popularity is rooted in the unwavering support that the public has for the self-defense for forces. Apparently, Toho could not make another Godzilla film until after 2020, when the contract with Legendary Entertainment in, from America ran out, and well, now it's 2021, and Godzilla vs. Kong just came out, as it's somewhat late. It was supposed to have been released in 2020, but due to the pandemic, it was not released. So I believe that um, Toho is probably going to come out with some of its own uh, Godzilla movies, which I'm actually quite excited for. I do like the American Godzillas, the legendary ones, but there's nothing like a good Toho uh, Godzilla movie. Um, I'm curious to see what a uh, modern generation of Japanese filmmakers have to do with the character, and <laughs> as well as the... Um, well, there's going to be some 
probably some pushback against the American movies, as there was in some of the Toho movies against the 1990s Godzilla, which deserved it. <laughs> the 1990s movie wasn't uh, very good, and it wasn't very Godzilla. It was kind of more of a just a giant lizard of could have been any name. Um, I know that they put a lot of effort into the marketing behind it, but it just didn't resemble the Godzilla character at all. Whereas the legendary ones have actually, I thought they've done a pretty good job, a pretty decent job. The part of the legendary films that most people criticize, at least the people I've talked to, has been uh, the, I guess the people parts, the um, the humans in interaction with the Godzilla characters, the kaiju characters. No one seems to like them. Um, Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Stranger Things? Mm, yeah, sorry. Um, was probably the most interesting character. Otherwise, the other characters seemed a bit shallow and uninteresting. I uh, think that the uh, legendary version of King Kong did a little bit better with, uh, uh, what is his name, C. Gordon Riley, I believe, um, something Riley, um, did a lot better. They injected uh, a lot of humor and, I don't know, personality into the King Kong movies that they didn't have as much with Godzilla. They did a lot of awe with the Godzilla movies, which makes sense because, well, Godzilla does inspire some awe. Um, but, yeah, there kind of needs to be a little bit more of a balance that Toho seems to really get, and America seems to be on their back foot. They don't quite get it. But visually, however, the legendary movies are amazing. They are incredibly beautiful, and the fights are unbelievable. Then again, like everybody says, kind of needs a little bit of both for a truly good movie. This new movie, Godzilla vs. Kong, which is the whole point of this um, part of the podcast, has a little bit more of the personality that the other ones were missing, at least if that's what I saw in it. Um, Godzilla vs. Kong was released uh, yesterday on March 31st in America. Like I said, I believe it was a little bit earlier. Um, I don't know if it was for the press or for a different foreign release. And that is listed as March 25th, 19, I'm sorry, 2021. And the director is Adam Wingard. Its budget was 160 to 200 million. I'm not really sure how they can not be completely sure of exactly how much the budget was, but yeah, apparently. Uh, the music was composed by Junkie XL based on the or the uh, Godzilla theme from the 1954 movie. Uh, it got an 80% score on Rotten Tomatoes, 61% on Metacritic. IMDb said 7.4. And on the Google Critic, um, the Google Viewer uh, Criticism has it at 90%. And... Um, I would give it probably 85 to 90% myself out of 100. I liked it a lot. I thought, I mean, I'm an easy crowd. I, I like Godzilla movies, so I'm not really somebody who's going to sit back and pick at like the little details. I loved the cinematography, the giant monsters duking it out in various locations and they did a good job of really making the the CGI hit the CGI feel realistic and um, yeah uh, Kong's facial expressions were done very well um, he had a lot of personality to him and actually Godzilla managed to get more personality than he's ever had in the legendary pictures version of Godzilla so far
the humans, uh, <laughs> uh, the humans were there. <laughs> Millie Bobby Brown was there, and she was disregarding her father as usual and running off after um, Godzilla trying to save him and convince people that he was not trying to kill humans, kill all humans, baby, but he was, in fact, um, provoked by a mysterious outsider. I'm going to go into spoilers now, so if anybody hasn't seen the movie, turn this off, go watch the movie, and if you want to, come back. Um, the story is by Terry Rossio and Michael Doherty and Zach Shields. Again, like I said, it's by Legendary Pictures. The runtime is 113 minutes. Millie Bobby Brown stars as Madison Russell again, as she has in the other two Legendary Godzilla pictures. Alexander Sarsgaard is new to the films, and he played Nathan Lind. Rebecca Hall it plays, oh, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, Il Eileen, I believe, Eileen Andrews, who is the, they call her the King Kong Whisperer, but she's a um, biologist uh, that is studying King Kong at the beginning of the movie. Um, there is a podcaster, one of our people, yay! Uh, whose name is Bernie Hayes, and he is played by Brian Tyree Henry. There is a mysterious, I don't know, he kind of seems like the muscle guy behind the um, money villain named Ren Shizirawa, and he's played by Shun Oguri, and Elizabeth Eliza Gonzalez plays Maya Simmons, who is the daughter of Walter Simmons, or might be Simons, Simmons, Simons, and he's played by Demian Bashir. Uh, Lance Rederick returns as the Monarch Director, as does Kyle Chandler returning as Mark Russell. One of the best things to see in the movie was the sidekick to Millie Bobby Brown, Josh Valentine, who is played by the inimitable Julian Dennison, who is a New Zealand, New Zealander that uh, was first out in fame by the amazing movie Hunt for the Wilder People. And if anybody hasn't seen that, they should go out and find it. I believe it's on Netflix right now. It's by Taki Watiti. And it's an odd movie. It's it's uh, probably not safe for work um, or like little kids. But it's, in a way it is, it's oddly sweet. It's, a, it's an odd movie about a troubled young boy that is adopted by a family in New Zealand, and he is great. There's a certain, I don't know, certain way that he acts that just makes him feel like a true character, like a, um actual young man who is a little bit confused by the world and doing his best to struggle through it. He doesn't have the run after everything with everything you've got because you're a superhero um, penchant that Millie Bobby Brown has, and um, he's he's a good sidekick to her. Uh, Alexander Sarsgaard also does a pretty good job as being a geologist that uh, has a theory of a hollow earth, which goes back pretty far. I know that it was popular by the Golden Dawn, I believe it was popularized by the Golden Dawn Society in the 1930s, 1920s uh, by Helena Ludovatsky, if I'm pronouncing her name right. Um, but yeah, they believe that the earth was hollow and that one could get into the inside of the earth and it would be reverse 
uh, gravity would reverse and you would be able to live on the underside of the crust of the Earth. Obviously, this is not true, but um, it's kind of fun for a mythical world like that of Godzilla. And um, they do a good job of it in, in the movie. The movie was supposed to be released in November of last year, but because of the COVID-19 pandemic, it was delayed until now and was released simultaneously in films and on HBO Max because of the danger of going into theaters right now, since not everyone is vaccinated yet. The film received generally positive reviews from the critics and a lot of praise for its visual effects and action sequences. The film begins about five years after the battle between Godzilla and King Ghidorah, and Kong is being monitored by Monarch in a giant dome. It's sort of like a um, dome of video screens, and it looks like it is back on Skull Island, but because well, Kong is a natural animal and he can tell that it's just a uh, a pretty cage. Uh, there's a scene where he picks up a part of a tree and launches it into what everyone thinks is the air, but it is actually the screen wall, which shatters his um, closest friend on the island is a small child uh, from, from the Iwi tribe that lived on the Skull Island with him. Uh, she is deaf and she communicates with sign language only. Jai, which is the girl's name, has been adopted by Elena and, or Elena, I'm sorry, Elena Andrews has adopted her and she studies Kong but takes care of Jai who is his seeming best friend. Meanwhile Bernie Hayes um, comes into the picture. Um, he is podcasting about in kind of a um, art battle sort of style possibly a little more bombastic than that um, he seems to have a lot of conspiracy theories about what's going on with the cybernetic Apex Cybernetic Company and um, has a Titan Theory podcast. He has uh, gotten himself hired by the Apex Cybernetics Company and is trying to infiltrate and find out what exactly is happening with their incredibly secretive business. Meanwhile, a big fan of his is listening, and that, of course, is Madison Russell uh, from the first two Godzilla movies, played by Millie Bobby Brown, and she is glued to the podcast. Unbeknownst to Bernie, the head of the company, Walter Simons, goes to meet with Lind, who had written a book about the Hollow Earth, and proposes that he guide a search party into the Earth to find out the sense source of hidden power within the Earth that he believes could power the world uh, all of the world's power power needs, human power needs, from now on. Lind is hesitant because his brother was killed on an earlier venture into the Hollow Earth because of the reversing gra gravitational field as soon as one gets past the initial changeover, I suppose it would be of the um, surface level gravitational field. <laughs> it's kind of hard to explain. From there on, it, the movie deals with Lind's 
efforts to bring Kong to the entrance to the Hollow Earth, which is somewhere in the Arctic, and he is convinced that Kong will lead them straight to the power source that they seek because of his previous residence in the Hollow Earth, which I'm not really sure how they believe that. I Honestly, I guess I gave that a suspension of disbelief because they never really mentioned Kong or Godzilla living in the Hollow Earth before in the series, unless they did and I spaced it. Um, it is pretty interesting, though. Um, the trip from Kong's current um, area to the uh, entrance of the Hollow Earth is fraught with danger, however, because they realize that Godzilla is going to sense that he is another Titan, and they had just had the war between all of the Titans with Gajira and Godzilla and Mothra, etc., etc., um, and King of the Monsters uh, about five years earlier. And so they are trying desperately to protect Kong from Godzilla's notice. However, now that he is on the, on the sea, basically balanced on some... Oh, I'm not exactly sure what they are, but there's some sort of shipping container, um, shipping ships, <laughs> like long, flat, bedded ships. Um, and so, yeah, so they're out on the o open ocean with Kong, who's who's actually pretty funny. He's taking a nap most of the time, scoop, scooping up fish as he goes. At first, he's quite upset to find himself chained to this strange little boat, but he is soon soothed by Gia, who is his friend from his original Skull Island, and then later on in the Institute that was taking care of him. Um, yeah, after that, hijinks ensue. I don't know how much I want to go into this, because it is all spoiler territory. Um, the acting by the, the actors is okay. I mean, it's not... There's not much depth to it. Um, but I, I think that Sarsgaard kind of conveys a believable like wistfulness about the lost brother that he has. Um, but I think that's partially down to just him being a very good actor or managing to convey that through the little bit of uh, time that he's given to it. Um, there is, of course, a bigger plan to this whole thing uh, that the Simons and the Apex Corporation has. They're going to um, most likely betray the more gentle scientists and uh, get what they can out of the Earth's core and however way, however whatever way they can get it. And they are not, uh, uh, they're not prone to sentimentality, is what I'm going to say. Um, so soon, Godzilla, of course, notices Kong's presence and attacks. And the initial scene of Godzilla attacking is pretty spectacular. It's, it's uh, somewhat unnerving because one feels for King Kong, um, I don't know, King Kong is is just as much a beloved character as Godzilla, and honestly, I mean, of the two, one can root for one or the other, but I don't think anyone has any ill will against uh, Godzilla or against King Kong. No one wants them to die or be ripped into pieces or anything like that, that I know of, at least. I mean, maybe there's some people who are a bit more grim about it, but... Um, yeah, there's a pretty epic battle at sea with Kong initially attached to the ship, which, of course, is not good for the people on the ship. Uh, Godzilla makes a short work of uh, the various vessels around. And, uh, yeah, so then comes the incredible glory of CGI and the special effects that 
are rife through the movie. Um, they continued their battle for a while and till until um, they mask um, Kong's signature by airlifting him uh, the rest of the way and for whatever reason uh, Godzilla can't sense him in the air and um, they are able to reach the entrance to the hollow earth and that those scenes are amazing too the um, the way that they play with gravity and the entrance into the hollow earth is amazing um the interior of the planet seems to be quite tropical uh kind of a sort of lost world um vibe about it um kind of tropical uh possibly south american african looking uh terrain a lot of old uh, caves and there's some cave art and things from the settlement of Godzilla, I'm sorry, King Kong's people. And, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty cool, um, design work that's done with that part. Um, of course, the, uh, daughter of Simons is there to pursue the company's goals and she's uh, outed as a villain quite quickly and um, well again I'm not going to tell you exactly what happens with her character but it is uh, it's pretty satisfying actually <laughs> anyways uh, yeah Kong uh, manages to get through that um, interaction and um, is interrupted when Godzilla finds an area which is in, I believe it's in, yeah, it's in Hong Kong, and he uses his laser breath to bore down into the hollow earth and ends up interjecting himself into the battle that Kong and company are currently having. Meanwhile, Millie Bobby Brown and Bernie, the podcaster, as well as her friend uh, Josh from the uh, Wilder family, are investigating the Apex company and somehow manage to backwards walk their way into a, I guess it's like a bullet train that goes underground in incredible at incredible speeds so they are sent from the United States to Hong Kong in the matter of minutes and they end up trying to sneak around the Hong Kong factory but are eventually captured by Simons and his cohorts and um, as they're doing it they come upon this huge skull and quickly realize that it is uh, one of the skulls that were from King Ghidorah, King Ghidra. Um, I'm not sure if it was the one that <laughs> Godzilla pulled off and was uh, kind of chewing on <laughs> in uh, King of the Monsters or exactly uh, which one it is, but apparently it has some sort of telepathic link to something else and it takes them a little while but they figure out that the Apex company's big plan was to create a mech. They um, stumble across basically a mech like if you've seen like Evangelion or actually just Transformers or anything like that. Well I suppose Transformers doesn't have people and the Transformers are just the Transformers, but um, mechs are huge suits like the size of giant, giant buildings. And um, they're usually run by one or two people, two people in Pacific Rim, which is uh, one of the famous movies about mech suits that are made for fighting giant monsters. 
And I, I believe that probably came around when Mechagodzilla came out um, in Japan. But um, anyways, uh, the Apex Corporation has created a rather sinister-looking mech that was controlled by um, their uh, person, Ren. And he is about to use it to battle Godzilla, but he succumbs to, um, I'm thinking it's like the radiation that is leaking from the incredible energy that they have pulled from the center of the earth. He warns his boss, Simons, about it, but is not able to handle the, uh, increased power and uh, unfortunately dies fairly quickly and the mecha the mech system the mech suit i guess seems to begin to run on its own i'm thinking that it has to do with the um the thought forms that are somehow still inhabiting the skull of uh, King Ghidra, uh, King Ghidra, King Ghidorah, um, they don't exactly explain that super well, but whatever, it's Godzilla, um, <laughs> and the, uh, mech just starts fighting on its own, Mecha Godzilla starts fighting on its own, and there's a couple shout-outs and some physical, like, battle scenes that make it seem that the, uh, mech has some memory of its battle-fought with Godzilla. Um, there's like some battle moves that he employs against Godzilla that are identical to ones that happened to him in the last movie. Uh, and so he initially fights Godzilla and then uh, Kong comes to his side to help and then when he is down Kong fights the mech by himself and then eventually um, Godzilla is able to stand again and he uses his uh, laser breath power to reignite the energy within Kong's uh, giant hand glowing hammer which he found in the inside of the uh, hollow earth. So then they finish their battle and it's really interesting because the animosity that you had seen between the two giant monsters earlier in the boat scene seems to still be there, but they have been united by their common enemy, Mechagodzilla. So they end up having a kind of grudging respect for each other. You can kind of, you know, not exactly see them walking off together um, down the pavement at the, uh, airport, you know, talking about going fishing together and becoming uh, good friends, but uh, yeah, they're kind of on a live or let live, live and let live sort of a trajectory with each other, and uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty much the uh, end. I left out a lot of things in the movie, but um, I'd say that the highlight of the movie is the scene scenes that are set in Hong Kong, and um, those are amazing. They um, are brightly lit with neon colors, like straight out of the 80s, and incredible monster action and fighting, and it's just a whole lot of fun. And the music is a lot of fun, and the editing and pacing is just perfect. So, yeah, it, if you like Godzilla movies, you're going to like this. It's not um, for somebody who wants a slow, cerebral work of fiction and horror, science fiction or horror. And it's definitely not for somebody who wants a romantic com comedy or something. But if, it's, if Godzilla is your, your thing, Godzilla is definitely comfortable in this. And the old... Uh, the old Toho Godzilla, I think, would be would be decently happy with this. So, I highly recommend it. I would uh, see it in a theater if I trusted 
my health at the time to uh, make it through. I'm pretty close to getting my second shot, and hopefully uh, the rest of the world is... And I have to say that if all goes well, and I am protected, and it's safe to go to the theater, I will definitely go and see Godzilla vs. Kong again on the large screen, because to me, film aficionado that I am, there is nothing like the experience of seeing a big screen movie, especially a Godzilla movie, on the big screen. And there is one thing that Legendary has done with the Godzilla movies, is make them incredibly exciting visual spectacles. So, I mean, whatever one says about the characterization of the human characters being boring, the fight scenes and the cinematography and the whole scope of the movies are definitely not boring. It's a lot of fun, and I think that one should get out there and see it. Alright, so that's the end of my kind of review critique on the movie. Um, again, like I said, it is not, um, it's not any Citizen Kane, but it's a, it's a hell of a lot of fun. So um, get out there and go see it. Um, enjoy your April Fool's Day, or you probably enjoy it. By the time you listen to this, it's probably going to be after April Fool's. But I hope you have a lot of fun, and I'll talk to you later in the month. This is Fishnets and Phantoms podcast. Again, your host is Amy Shofsrain. Please feel free to get in touch with me about anything in this podcast and the Fishnets and Phantoms group or page on Facebook. We also have a Twitter presence currently, and I'm working on getting an Instagram up. So, all right, you take care. Have a happy April. Talk to you soon.